Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I want you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy today, chapter 8. What a wonderful time we had last week in chapter 1 of Joshua We're in a series on the blessing, the blessing. Father, we ask for the revelation of your your heart. We ask you for the mighty power and anointing that is on your word to be released. We ask that you would give your servant supernatural Holy Spirit energy and revelation and anointing that we may receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Out of the heart of God's love comes his blessing. Blessing is not a little expression of what you say when somebody sneezes. Blessing is not a gimme, 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 gimme from the Lord in prayer. Blessing is a supernatural, God-given impartation to you from Him. If you are in Christ, you have it already residing in you, but it's possible not to connect with it. Let me say that again. It's impossible not to connect with something you already have. Because all that you discover and embrace and walk in must be on the basis of faith. You receive nothing without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You are saved by grace, yes, through faith. All that God provides for us comes through faith. So many times... We have failed to recognize that the blessing of God is in us and on us. We talked about how in Genesis 1.27 that the first thing God did when he created Adam and Eve was he blessed them. The word comes from the Hebrew barak and it means to bow, to kneel, to adore. You know what God said when he, he created you in Adam and Eve? He said, I absolutely adore you. I absolutely adore you. Would to God we'd get revelation of that. We have allowed our circumstances and other people to define how our Father thinks about us. Did you know on the worst day of your life when you were stuck in sin or fell back away from the Lord, did you know that the love of God was just the same for you then as it is when you're sitting here in church in obedience? The love and grace of God, He absolutely, it's, inexhaustible. It's beyond comprehension. The blessing of God. And then God said, be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to give you the God, I'm going to give you, I'm going to impart to you my ability to be productive. 
I am going to give you my supernatural advantage of being successful in what I've assigned you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion. Take dominion. I'm going to give I'm going to impart to you my authority and you're going to need it to do what I've called you to do and I'm going to give you my authority over the enemy that's lurking. Did you know that in a perfect environment there was still the opportunity there there was still an evil voice. Why is that, pastor? Because all God's after is a love relationship. And you cannot have love without choice. It does not exist. God, in the blessing, He blessed them. Inherit in that blessing was supernatural ability, supernatural affirmation from God Himself, and supernatural authority. We talked about how in Genesis chapter 12, God got back into covenant with a man named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you and make you great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The rest of the book is about how the blessing of Abraham was eventually brought to pass, lived up to, and perpetuated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 3 at some point and study it. Know that the blessing of Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Last time we talked about how do you connect with that blessing, that affirmation, that authority, that ability. How do you connect with it? And we saw in Joshua chapter 1, fleshing out of an example. What we found out is that uh, Joshua not only had to believe, he not only had to receive it, He not only had to stay under the right covering with Moses, the transfer that was there, we found out that God told, that God challenged Joshua's security. God removed Moses from Joshua's life. Now what you're going to do, big boy? What will you do tomorrow if you walked in and your best customers left you? What would I do tomorrow if the most generous supporters of my church and ministry left? I had that happen in the early days. And that is exactly what the devil spoke to me. Now what you going to do, big boy? Do you understand that God loves you so much that he will not allow you to be self-deceived into believing that somebody else is your security? Sooner or later, you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that it's between you and your heavenly Father. Everything and everybody else can change. But if you are backed by heaven's resources, if you are backed by a Father with whom there is no changing, you're going to be all right if you won't allow fear to get you out of faith. God can raise up more than you lost before sundown if you'll just trust Him. Amen. 
Our problem is we don't see how, and so we say we live by faith, but we are so acclimated to what we see that if that security is removed, then we're in a tailspin. Can I tell you, it's better, it's better to every day recognize that God Almighty is your source and resource, and He is the only explanation for your blessing and all you need. It's better to know that in your heart rather than to have to know it through your circumstances. Amen. The Father. God challenged Joshua's source of security. Second thing he did was he identified Joshua's assignment. We saw that last week. We're not going to go back there. It's on the CDs or it's on our website. He also identified to Joshua the source of his success, and that was to meditate on the Word of God and to, re, to speak and re-speak that Word, to get the images of the Word of God constantly in his mouth and in his heart, knowing that that was going to be the key to his success. And then he told Joshua that he had to put his foot down on some things. He had to get moving. He had to move toward the Hittites those who had trespassed on his land, God's Abrahamic covenanted promised land, Joshua had to go over there and put his foot down on that land. He couldn't just say, okay, Lord, just make it all come to pass, lay all my enemies out, and just bring me all the resources. No, you got to go over there and walk on that land. We talked about last time at the end. Part of the blessing is learning to deal with the enemies that are in your territory. See, most of us think that our enemies are primarily sickness, financial lack, relationship brokenness, and we miss the forest for the trees. Because most of the time, our real issues are fear, anxiety, worry, anger, bitterness, jealousy. Mostly our enemies are internal. They only come to the surface through external circumstances. So what we need to learn to do, church, is to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where there is something in our ground, something that is occupying our inner territory of peace and joy and the love of God and blessing and encouragement. What's stealing that? Put our foot down on that. We have the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the understanding, the patience, all the, all the fruits of the Spirit. We have the right to lay our head down and go to sleep in peace. We have the right to walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So not just these external things, but let's learn to deal with the internal stealers of our covenant promises. 
Now today I want to look here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I want us to go a little farther on learning to connect with the blessing. And one of the greatest, one of the greatest examples that I can see is in this eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. And let me give you the context. God's people, His covenant people, had been delivered from Egypt after 430 years, Linda. That's older than I am. 430 years they had been in Egypt, and God supernaturally delivered them out of slavery. He led them within about 40 days over to the verge of the land of Canaan that he had promised Abraham, this is your land forever. Forever. So they got on the verge of the land, and you remember in Numbers 13, there they were on the edge of the land, and they had sent out 12 spies, and 10 of them came back and said, we can't do this. In fear, they said, we can't have it even though God has promised it. The, the enemies are too great. There's way too much opposition over there. We can't do it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can. God says it's ours. Let's go. But the majority ruled. How many of you know the majority's not always right? Amen. So the, the children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of that 40 years, Remember this. This is the context of where we're reading today in Deuteronomy 8. God in His mercy and love and grace said, now let's try this again. Is that not incredible? Isn't it amazing that regardless of my mess-ups and yours, that your Father loves you so much that He'll say, now let's try this again. I hadn't changed my plan for your best. And so here they were on the verge of the land again. And that's where we read today. And here's the word that God gave Moses to the people, verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now let's stop there just a minute. Did God not know what was in their heart? He's omniscient, is he not? So who really needed to know what was in their heart, God or them? They did. He humbled you and put you to the test so you'd know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So verse 3, he humbled you. There it is again. He humbled you. What does it mean to be humbled? It means to be brought into a place to where you yield to somebody else. It means that that your motives, that your wrong desires are exposed. And when you are humbled, it means that you are met with an immovable force so that you have to submit your own, your own will that you've been operating in to be humble means that you run into the dead end of, your, of exerting your will, and that is against the sovereign will and plan of God. He humbled you. To humble us means, do you know that being humbled is the first step of 
being delivered from self-deception. If, if you stay in self-deception, you will be on the road to destruction. So to be humbled means to be brought to that point to where you submit your own will to Him. He humbled you and allowed you to hunger. And He fed you with manna. How many of you remember what manna is? Manna was that for 40 years they'd been out there in the desert. And so God, God didn't want them. He, he wanted to humble them. They were rebellious. They were fearful. They, they, they wouldn't go on into His highest and best. But God, every day, every morning, there was a supply of a bread-like surface on the ground every day. So they gathered enough. Do you know what? For 40 years, they were in survival mode. But they did not die out of hunger. This was part of their humbling process. He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He fed you. Here's what I want you to see there in verse 3. That he might make you know that your life does not consist by bread alone. The material things you see. But your life, you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that your very life is connected to the Word of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Word of God is your life? That all that you need to live is embodied in the Word of God? Do you know that you were saved by the Word of God? For we were not saved by that which is corruptible, but by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that lives and abides forever. Can I ask you something? How, how important is the Word of God to you? Do you know that it's your life? God, don't let me have to be humbled before I believe this. Help me to get it without that. Notice verse 4, your garments didn't wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Could you walk around for 40 years in the Middle Eastern desert without your foot swelling, without divine intervention? I don't care what kind of flip-flops you got, it ain't enough for that. God showed him mercy. You should know, verse 5, in your heart, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. That word chasten there doesn't mean beat the daylights out of you. It means discipline you. The word discipline means to train, to correct. It comes from a motive of love and well-being. It is not abuse. It is corrective, not punitive. The Lord was chastening. He was correcting you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For never forget the Lord, look at verse 7, the Lord's bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. These were people who were disobedient for 40 years. 
God still had a wonderful plan for them. He still wanted to bless them. What do you think of that, Daniel? If y'all didn't hear Daniel's devotional this morning, you should have heard it. Boy, what a powerful word Daniel Black gave us this morning. One Sunday next month, he's going to tell a story of God's grace in his life. You'll be here. You'll, you need to want to hear that. All right. A land of, look, verse 7, springs and hills and a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and when you are full, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. Beware that you do not forget that the Lord your God, you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. So that, verse 12, when you have eaten and are full, when you have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them. How many of those did they had? Did you know for 430 years in Egypt and as slaves to Pharaoh making mud to build his empire, to, to produce bricks, for 40 years wandering around out there in the desert, sometimes in tents and sometimes not. Now, he says, I'm going to lead you into a place of blessing where you will build a beautiful house and live in it. That's the manifestation of the blessing of Abraham. God's intention was not because they were so great. God's intention was because he promised a man named Abraham to you and your descendants I will bless you and make you great. It's the grace of God, not the performance. And you're under that grace. You're a recipient of that grace. God, give us revelation. Now notice how this continued to express itself. Verse 13, when your herds and your flocks multiply, what did flocks and herds and crops represent to them in their agrarian society? Well-being, prosperity. When your flocks and your herds multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, you think there might be some monetary value in silver and gold. Get that religious hat off your head and know that God Almighty loves you and wants to bless you. I'll take heat for that any day. This is the Word of God. When your heart, don't be, he said, beware. When all that you have is multiplied, when you're, beware that your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, by which there were, there were fiery serpents and scorpions and a dry and thirsty land where there's no water, who brought water for you out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. They'd never seen anything like that. Why did he do that? That he might humble you 
Put you in a position to receive. Understand that humbling means put you in a position to receive. And that he might test you to do good to you in the end. Beware that then you say in your heart when God has blessed you mightily, beware that you say, oh, it's my power and the might of my hand that has given me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Why? That he might establish the covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God wants you to have provision. He just don't want provision to have you. Humble yourself. Understand. Listen, if God has blessed you mightily, you ought to have regular times that you go back and say, Lord, there is no explanation for this blessing except it came out of your heart and your hand. It is the blessing of the Lord that has granted me this. Well, Pastor, what in the world did he mean by God has given you the power to get this well? He's blessed them. He's going to bless them with homes and, and finances and, and assets. What did that mean? And I know many, many, many say, well, that was the blessing of Abraham for the old covenant people. I want to tell you something. The New Testament says the blessing of Abraham has now been fulfilled and perpetuated in Jesus. What did he mean by that? What is wealth? Now, that's a relative term, isn't it? What do you think some of the people in Texas or, New, or, or in Florida would say wealth is today? Might it be some clean clothes and some shelter and a hot meal? Wouldn't that be? What about some who live in foreign lands, who live in little shanties and the, the incredible destruction of hurricanes in the Caribbean islands? What do you think some of them, how do you think some of them would define wealth today? Let me give you a spiritual definition of wealth. Are you ready? It's not in your outline. Wealth is more than you need for the purpose of being a blessing. Wealth is more than you need for the purpose of honoring God and being a blessing. Do you understand how much fun that is? That's true wealth. More than you need for the purpose of being a blessing. Now, you need more than you think you do. A lot of people caught up in religion are just all, who you need more than you think you do. Yeah, you do. You need a home, you need shelter, you need vehicles, you need electricity, you need utilities. Uh, you need some reserves because life happens and ditches get hit. You need insurance. You need all kind of things. Sometime you ought to sit down and put down on a legal pad what you think you need. And I guarantee you, it's probably, you're probably thinking too little. (coughs) 
What I'm trying to tell you, church, is this. Part of the blessing of God is the revelation, the revelation from the inside to the outside, the revelation of how God wants us. Look, remember what he said to Abraham? I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. Can I put it down in street vernacular? If you ain't got it, you can't give it. Does that make sense to you? God wants us to be flowing rivers to meet the needs of others. And whether that is expressed through the well-being and physical service or financial investment or however it is. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I want you to go before God and say, Lord, I am willing for you to humble me. I am willing for you. Look, those who are the most blessed I've ever known are those who've gone through severe humbling and testing at some point. You know why? Because it's out of that humbling and testing that the Lord brings to the surface where our security really is. And he removes all those false senses of security that we didn't even know we had. And then we get in partnership with God Almighty. And that's something that we have to keep on doing. It's not a once for all deal. Not a once for all deal. But notice what God said he wanted to do for these people who had been disobedient and rebellious. Can I ask you something? If God wanted to do that for them on that side of the cross of Jesus, you don't think he wants to do that for you? You know, uh, I know that I will get some uh, scrutiny and sometimes some criticism by any preaching that has to do with anything to do that has an external manifestation to it. If this is not the Word of God, you throw it out. But if it is, you ought to pursue it with all your heart. What, Pastor, on the outline, you've said the awesome blessing of God's favor and the awesome blessing of humility and correction. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what happens when we get corrected. When, when we come before the Lord, the Holy Spirit corrects our thinking, our speaking, our behaving. What correction does is three things. Are you ready? It's not on your outline. Correction does three things. It clears the channel of communication between you and the Lord. You can hear His voice more clearly. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is able then to counsel us for direction and protection. If we're hearing His voice clearly, sometimes we get those words from Him that keep us from making a mess or putting ourselves in a place where we're going to get hurt. The discipline, the correction of the Lord clears the channels of communication. Number two, it counsels us so that we can get direction and protection. And number three, it sets us up to succeed. It sets us in a place where grace can embrace us.
If I am absolutely sure of my own, that I am the source of my well-being, I am sadly deceived and I'm eventually going to get bit badly by him who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's loving protection enables us to hear the counsel of the Holy Spirit. You need to know something here, though, practically. The correction of the Lord starts on the inside by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do? He will convict you of sin. It's always better to just hear the voice of the Lord and to make the corrections internally. But what I found is if I'm not listening to the voice of the Lord, the Lord loves me so much He doesn't want me to go off the bridge, so He will sometimes correct me through circumstances or other people. You ever found that to be true in your life? I was praying diligently, oh, Holy Spirit, please, Correct me, Lord. Don't let me miss it. Correct me, Holy Spirit. And shortly thereafter, the Lord spoke a rebuke to me through Dina. And I said, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> Y'all don't ever have really things like that, right? God will use other people to speak to you. God will use circumstances sometimes to say to you, Okay, humble yourself now and seek me with all your heart. What we, want to, what we want to happen is that it won't have to come to that, right? We want to get the correction from the Lord and His voice by an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. But look, if you get God's correction through other people or circumstances, give Him praise for it. It's because He loves you. He wants to have all communication lines clear. He wants to protect you. Also understand this. Are you listening? Correction is not criticism. Did you know you can lead your New Testament? Jeremiah and I were talking about this this week. You cannot find one time that Jesus criticized, browbeat anybody. Now he spoke the word of truth. He spoke words of correction. He spoke words of accountability. But he did not lambast and criticize anybody. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ will not criticize you. I'll tell you some danger in criticism. It comes from the devil. It's not in the Lord. And number two, do you believe in the law of sowing and reaping? Yes or no? What do you think you're going to reap if you're, criti- if you're sowing criticism? If you are criticizing, is that what you want to happen to you? Well, you better stop the sowing and reaping process through the words of your mouth. I don't want to be criticized, so I better not sow criticism. Amen? Correction is not criticism. 
Correction has to do with helping somebody see something. It, it has to do, and it certainly has to do with accountability. Sometimes if you're in a place of responsibility and authority over a business or a team or whatever, sometimes you have got to say the result is not adequate. It's not acceptable. And if this doesn't change, then you're going to have to change. Accountability is right and well. It's, it's, it's a scriptural Criticism is destructive. So we say to the Lord, Lord, correct me. Correct me. Notice what God wanted to do by their correction. In verse 3, he wanted to humble them and correct them so they would really know what the source of their life was, and it was their relationship with him through his word. Verse 3. And I also want you to see that part of why he humbled them, look at verse 16, and put them to the test, is to do good to them in the end. If you're in a time of humility, if you're in a time of testing, God's intention for you is to do good to you. I love 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, where it says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he may exalt you. So that he might promote you and put you in that place where he wants to bless you. But part of my humbling is I have to see where I'm self-destructing. I have to see where I'm grieving the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, give me correction. And help me to respond to it and not defend myself. Amen? God's motive is for your good. He wants you to walk in blessing. Jesus said these words. Jesus said it. Luke 14, 11. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you will voluntarily submit yourself and humble yourself, you will be exalted. What a powerful, powerful promise. Part of connecting with the blessing is receiving correction from the Lord. Amen? God's intention is to bless you. Spirit, soul, body, relationally, and yes, financially. Get involved in the kingdom of God. There's a way things work. We'll have more to say about that as we go along. Would you stand, please? The blessing. You say, well, Pastor, that was not good news today about that. Listen, that is good news. When we get correction, when we, get, when we humble ourselves, that is good news. Everybody say it with me. When I humble myself, it clears the lines of communication. It gives me clarity and protection. And it sets me up to prosper and succeed. Father, thank you for your blessing. I, in the name of Jesus, I pray you give us greater revelation of the blessing of Abraham fulfilled and perpetuated in Christ Jesus. In every way, 
in every way, O oh God, spirit, soul, and body, relationally and financially, for those who are undergoing testing, for those who are being humble, for those who are in a, in a difficult, painful place, bear witness in them today, O oh God. Bear witness in them that there's coming a time when the tests are over. There's coming a time of fulfillment and blessing. There's coming a time, Lord, when this season, this wilderness is going to give way to the land of Canaan. Oh, God, encourage them today. Bless them today. Give them new hope, new energy, new encouragement. Let them know, God, that you have not changed your plan for them. Plans, oh God, for well-being. To give them a future and a hope. And Father, regardless of how long they've wandered in that land, that wilderness land, that land of fiery serpents, that land of lack and pain, I pray you'd bear witness in them today that there is a Canaan waiting. There is a land of blessing. There is a land, oh God, of plenty. And oh God, for those who've lived in that land, who seem like, oh God, that there is that they have fallen back, I pray that you would remind them, oh God, that they are still right there in your heart, that this time of testing, this time of humility, this is a time where you're setting them up for greater blessing. Greater blessing, oh God. Give us all revelation that our security is not in the work of our hands. Our security is in not in who we know and what they can do for us. Our security is not in how big we are. Our security is in how big you are. Our security, oh God, is in your ability. And I pray you do great and mighty things, Father, that bring you glory and honor and praise internally and externally. Grant it, Jesus, mighty blessing, mighty blessing. Father, make us greater recipients, more faithful stewards of the blessing of God. Oh, hallelujah. Just give the Lord thanksgiving and praise here this morning. Thanksgiving and praise. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.